Well, you know, you've been listening to the show that things have remained relatively quiet in the west of Ukraine, places like Lviv, where we've spoken to people over the past few weeks. That kind of changed over the weekend. Um, there was, in fact, an attack on a Ukrainian military base that apparently, quote, turned the sky red as missiles struck the site. And it was right near the Polish border as well. Reports say at least 30 feet, 35 people died in the attack uh, near a major crossing point into Poland used by refugees from the conflict. Apparently, Russia fired about 30 cruise missiles at the base outside of the city of Lviv early Sunday. That's what the local governor there said. Now, reports today suggest the International Center for Peacekeeping and Security of course, in the past, this place had housed trainers, including Canadians, working with the Ukrainian military right up until before the invasion. Apparently now it was being used by some foreign volunteers arriving in the country to receive their training. And there are reports in the Global Mail tonight that at least one Canadian was injured, although Ukraine's military says there were no foreigners killed in that attack. Meantime, today, talks between Russia and Ukraine ended without breakthrough. Ukrainian officials say they will resume tomorrow. And Russian forces again continue to pound away at Kyiv and other major cities. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres didn't mince his words in explaining what the impact of this war is on the most vulnerable. Ukraine is on fire. The country is being decimated before the eyes of the world. The impact on civilians is reaching terrifying proportions. It kept getting worse. Second, whatever the outcome, this war will have no winners, only losers. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky will address Canadian parliamentarians tomorrow and the U.S. Congress on Wednesday, remotely, of course. One of the things he will no doubt be bringing up again is the idea of protecting Ukraine's skies. Perhaps not a no-fly zone, but something to stop the bombardment of civilians and residential areas in Ukraine that we've seen an increasing amount of over the past few weeks. Well, joining me now to talk a bit more about what to expect from President Zelensky's address, as well as events in Ukraine over the weekend, is former Canadian ambassador to Ukraine and the current Ukraine business ombudsman, Roman Waschuk. Thanks for being here tonight. Uh, great to be back with you, Ben. I guess this um, this attack quite serious attack yesterday so close to the Polish border would would signal a change or, or a change. What is that change? What, what do you make of it? Well, it shows how determined Russia is to show, to prove that it can extend its air reach all across Ukraine, right up to the NATO border. And uh, it targeted a uh, training center very much associated with NATO in the past. That's It's a place where Canadian troops were based for a long time, American troops as well, Lithuanian, Polish troops. Um, so there's a symbolic value, and uh, it was also being used as a staging point, uh, both for equipment and for some uh, foreign volunteers uh, coming in uh, to assist Ukraine. So it was also, a, I think, a kind of a message saying, Stay away, stay out. Um, it really was close by. Um, my uh, my wife has uh, a cousin who has a farm right on the Polish side of the border. And uh, I got a text from them uh, yesterday morning saying, our house shook, the windows rattled. Uh, it, was a, it was a big blast. And so close. I mean, it just, this idea of, of this conflict spilling over 
uh, into NATO nations. That's awfully close to, it, yeah. It is indeed. And uh, I have a bit of a sentimental connection to it too, because uh, uh, the town of Yabori, which is near the base, the town itself wasn't hit. The base nearby was hit. But that town uh, is my my mother's family's hometown, um, and visited it as well many times. Uh, and, and certainly for people on the Polish side of the border, and I was in Przemysl, which is uh, about forty kilometers away from from there, and right on the border yesterday, certainly are makes them very concerned, makes them feel extremely frontline state. When, when you look at how, since I last spoke to you, when you look at how the last week has gone, both militarily and diplomatically, what, what, has, what has surprised you the most? And, uh, and is there, do you see any signs, any, any encouraging signs there? Well, uh, I mean, the Ukrainians have proved very resilient and quite adept at fighting and maneuvering on the ground. Uh, they a lot of Russian equipment, mm-hmm. um, but they're very vulnerable from the air. Um, so the Russians, meanwhile, have discovered that their troops are not very motivated. Uh, they tend to surrender or abandon their equipment when anything, uh, becomes difficult. Uh, but they realize that their rockets and their artillery shells don't need motivation. And so they've taken to pummeling Ukrainian cities, um, into submission. Mariupol, I think is the most horrible example right now. Uh, there seems to be a bit of a pause around Kharkiv and Chernihiv. Um, the advance on the capital uh, has been largely stopped, not rolled back, but stopped uh, over the past week. Now, whether the Russians will redouble, we'll see. Uh, whether they have the capacity to redouble is a question, because the announcement that they intend to recruit 16,000 Syrians and other Middle Easterners does not suggest that they've got lots of eager troops uh, somewhere in their huge armed forces who want to take part in this operation. When you look at the images coming out of Mariupol specifically, <clears throat> a city I think we've both been to, um, yeah. I mean, it is, it is, I don't think any of us imagined thinking about how this might unfold if it ever did. I don't think we quite expected to see this, although if you look at the Chechnyas and the Aleppos and so on, maybe it's not surprising, but it must be shocking to watch Ukrainian cities get destroyed by yes. by Russia. It, it, it is. And, you know, again, I consider myself a realist and a bit of a tragic pessimist, uh, but I didn't see this particular level of anti-people, anti-urban violence coming in Ukraine because, you know, uh, it, the intervention is supposedly to uh, rescue the country from neo-Nazis who are oppressing Russian speakers, but it's precisely people in the most Russian-speaking areas of the country who have been killed and smashed the most. Um now, people, Russians in Russia don't know this because they're being lied to every day and they're not being shown any, any of the imagery. Um, but what we've seen in uh, southern parts of the country that were occupied without uh, the same degree of violence is that people just aren't accepting it. You know, These were areas where there were never big pro-Ukraine demos and they're happening now after the Russians have occupied places like Kherson. So, so basically, I think 
Ukrainians, regardless of what language they speak, are people who feel that Putin is not the boss of them. And they just don't want him in their country. There was a lot of diplomatic activity last week. Canadian, the Prime Minister, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, the Defence Minister, uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs were all abroad. Did you see anything of, from with your diplomatic glasses on? Did you see any signs of progress, anything encouraging coming out of that last tour? Um, not a whole lot. Let's say the meeting between the Ukrainian Foreign Minister and the Russian Foreign Minister was a bust in Turkey. Uh, I think the Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister's trip was good news for uh, Ukrainians looking for potential refuge in Canada after being received in Europe. I think Canada was the first, if you will, out-of-area country to offer refuge, and President Duda of Poland uh, appreciated that quite a lot. Uh, So that's been a kind of Canadian value added in this situation. But uh, does... Putin look like he wants to take a step back? Uh, No, not really. Uh, Various foreign leaders have been trying to be intermediaries. I think the the Germans, the French had another long conversation which basically consisted of listening to Putin rant at them. Uh, The Israeli prime minister apparently had a two-hour conversation with him uh, today. But uh, I just don't see it making a whole lot of difference yet. I'm speaking with Canada's former ambassador to Ukraine, Roman Waschuk. After this, we'll talk about President Zelensky's address to Parliament, uh, Canadian parliamentarians on Tuesday and then to the U.S. Congress on Wednesday after addressing um, the U.K. Parliament last week. These are probably, I'm just going to ask about what to expect and what kind of impact it could have with so many uh, certain things still on the table, such as air defenses. We'll be back. I'm back with former Canadian ambassador to Ukraine, Roman Waschuk. We've been talking about uh, developments over the past uh, weekend, over the weekend in the war in Ukraine, including the attack on a um, on a uh, what was a military base uh, it was, uh, right near the Polish border. Uh, it, it will be a very big week, I gather, for President Zelensky. Uh, his his speech to the to the UK part to Westminster seemed to have some impact. Uh, what do you expect to hear from him both on Tuesday when he speaks to Canadian parliamentarians? And on Wednesday, when he speaks to the U.S. Congress, well, I think it'll be uh, a continuing message of resilience uh, and uh, asking why can't you guys who promised to, you know, hashtag stand with Ukraine do more, uh, especially to close the sky, uh, because that is certainly where the greatest suffering is being inflicted from right now. I think we, you know, we, 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 we mentioned before that the Russian ground game is not good. Uh, so uh, I, I think that's what he will be uh, talking about, you know, provide air defenses, whether, you know, if you don't want to get involved directly, provide air defense. But one of the things I see changing in the U.S. debate is that people in Washington, uh, not in the administration, but sympathetic to the administration are asking why is it that nuclear deterrence only seems to work one way in other words uh, putin can say something scary and then everyone goes out of their way to say oh no no we sure we, we surely wouldn't do anything that, that would upset you mr putin because uh, after all you've mentioned you have nuclear weapons well you know, the united states has a lot of nuclear weapons and uh, perhaps mr putin should be uh should be uh 
paying attention to uh, to that as well. I think there, as people see the suffering, the grinding down of Ukrainian cities and wonder, uh, you know, how we'll all be able to live with this later, uh, the the political pressure for, for some form of no-fly zone, whether it's partial, whether it's missiles only, whether it's uh, providing high-end air defense equipment to the Ukrainians, is going to grow, and I think the president will definitely be talking about that. All that being said, then, this is the third week of this war. I don't think anyone, we didn't expect it to begin, let alone last this long in many ways, or at least at this rate, like a, like a, you know, a ground war, essentially. Or, or, yep. Where do you see this going now? And, and what, what really should we be looking out for in the next week and two weeks uh, in terms of developments? Well, it, it is uh, now a bit of an endurance race. Uh, Russia's economy is suffering. Uh, the ruble has been collapsing and uh, the Russian stock exchange hasn't opened for three weeks. Um, but Russian public support for Putin seems quite solid uh, to the extent that you can gauge it in a pretty tyrannical country. Uh, they, their propaganda effort vis-a-vis their own population uh, seems to be working, and those people who are really, really unhappy are are the ones who escaped in the last few days while they could still buy air tickets to anywhere. Um, Ukrainians, I think the last poll in Ukraine showed 91% support for President Zelensky and a nearly similar number believing that they can win. Uh, so neither side is throwing in the towel. Uh, the Russians are experiencing logistical difficulties. The Ukrainians, are, of course, are experiencing horrendous losses uh, among the civilian population. Interestingly, the on the military side, uh, Ukraine has suffered considerably fewer losses in personnel than the Russians. The Russians have lost over 10% of their invading force. Uh, and if you include the injured, maybe up to a third. Uh, so they have not done well. Um, but they're counting on here mass. They're counting on maybe bringing in these Syrians from us, from President Assad. They're talking to the Chinese. So they're trying to, uh, to also find a way of doubling down. So it's a question of whether Ukraine determination will last, whether uh, new and better, especially anti-aircraft systems are uh, are given to the country. Apparently, the UK has agreed to provide its most modern system now to the Ukrainians. Uh, versus the impact of the financial san- sanctions on Russia. So the, 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 there are sort of three factors: Ukraine militarily, Russia militarily, and then the financial sanctions and how how they uh, how they all play out together. Uh, I think what needs to happen in Western countries though is also a bit of a reframing. It's not a matter of of giving Ukraine palliative care. Uh, After three weeks, we know that actually they can win it if they get more support. So we have to be comfortable with the idea of Russia losing. We, you know, we're we're all very good at being at morally, at moralizing about Russia and how terrible it is. But I think a lot of people are secretly, especially policymakers, afraid of what would happen if Russia lost. How would it react? What if Russia fell apart? Uh, What if the system uh, became unstable? Uh, but we have to be able to think of that to effectively help Ukraine uh, because there has to be also a pathway to a positive outcome and 
victory or a negotiated leverage solution for them, as opposed to simply being very sorry for them and providing the bare minimum to solve our own consciences. Roman Westchuk, thank you as always for your time. I appreciate your insight. You're very welcome. And Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky actually addressed